Wow. I'm Scott Weatherford. That, that song, uh, this, in our 21 Days of Focus uh, online, we have a, a devotional. We have songs that match uh, the messages for all this whole series. And that was one of the songs this week. And I kind of got a little behind. Y'all ever get a little behind? You know, God's not checking off if you're on time. Did you know that? But I got a little behind, so I caught up and I listened to that song today. Is he worthy? And what do you say? He is. What a great song. And with the choir and the brass and the band and this y'all, it's like heaven just got on the edge of its seat. Went, whoa, listen to rednecks down there. They're getting after it. That's good. Yesterday, Tara and I made a strategic decision to go to Fredericksburg. Do you guys like Fredericksburg? It is crazy. Everybody and their dog was there in Fredericksburg. In fact, I saw more dogs, and I like dogs, so it's not an issue. But we went to Fredericksburg, and we went into a a shop that I kind of like. There's an Outfitters there. And actually, I actually bought a fly fishing reel in that Outfitters uh, shop, and I've never used that fly fishing reel, so I need to fix that, right? Because we got a pond over there. It's got some bass that I need to catch in it. But we went into this, this, this shop, and I am a sucker for maps. Anybody else like that? I just love maps. And, and like I go into Bucky's, going into the bathroom, I see all those maps, I just get captivated. I forget what am I in here for, and I don't remember, because I'm old, and that's often. I just look at these maps, and I'm fascinated by maps. I'm fascinated by, I'm actually, being from Florida, I'm actually captivated by Texas because Texas will capture you. Did you know that? You know, if you're not a Texan, you know, you never ask a man where he's from because he's from Texas, he'll tell you. And if he's not, you don't want to embarrass him, right? In fact, some people said I'm like a Texas, uh, a, a Texas preacher and a Texas longhorn steer have a lot in common. Two points, a lot of bull in between. Anyway, <laughs> but I am a sucker for map, especially map of Texas. And Tara and I were in this shop and we saw this this framed map of Texas. And I'm saying, we need to have this in our house. He said, keep going. <laughs> but we started, we started looking at it, and it was from 1844, showing the, 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 the Texas territory, Tejas. And y'all know Texas history. We became a, a part of the United States, what, 1848? Uh, 45, okay, so it's right before, thank you for that correction. So it's right before we became uh, a part of the union, and we're looking at that map, but it was fascinating to me. I was looking for Wimberley, it wasn't on the map, but I was looking for it anyway. And, and Fredericksburg was there, but I was looking at, at that map, and I was captivated, and I realized this I can never, ever draw a map. I just couldn't do it. It's just overwhelming to me. How in the world someone can be a map maker, how someone can draw out a map of something. I have drawn maps on the back of napkins before. And all that does is serve to confuse people. You know? But you know, when I'm drawing a map, I always do this. I always start with a fixed point. Because you cannot make a map without a fixed point. You have to start someplace to make a map. Isn't that right? You have to say, here you are. Have you ever gone into the mall and look at the information board, look at the map? And you're looking for something in the mall and it says, you are here. Doesn't that help? And then you find your way from there. Now, Tara, as she does this, she will rotate a map. Do you girls do that? You look at a map and you'll see you'll rotate it. And I'll say, why are you rotate this? Because this is the direction I'm driving. 
I said, baby, maps don't work like that. It's got north and south on it, and you don't be... Any of you other girls turn maps? Any of you guys turn maps? We're going to have a repentance time of map turners here. But you always have to, whether you turn it or not, you have to start with a fixed point. And contemplating what we're talking about today in the book of Ephesians, you have to have a fixed point in order for your life to have a distinct roadmap or a journey map or a process map. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, let us run with endurance the race God has before us. We do this by keeping, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The champion, Jesus, King Jesus, who initiates it. Listen to me very carefully. You cannot even have faith in God unless Jesus initiates it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he not only initiates it, he does, what's the next word? Y'all can read, right? What's the next word? Perfects. He perfects it. In other words, this word perfect, it really doesn't mean that you become perfect. It means you become mature. He is maturing your faith. How do we know that your faith has been matured? When you're dead. When you're dead. But in that process, many of you are mature believers because your faith has gotten to a level of maturity where you're fully trusting in him, but you will not be perfected until you're glorified. Are y'all with me on that? But you have to have a fixed point, fixing our eyes. Now, I'm like you. I don't want to just go through life and take up space and use up resources. I, I really don't. I want my life to matter. I want my life to count for something. But what I've realized in the scope of the few years I've been alive, the uh, 40-something years I've been alive, it's been at least 40, yeah. Um, man, life goes fast. And little ones become big ones before you know it. And knees that once could leap over tall buildings in a single bound now have trouble rising up four steps onto a platform. And life is short, and I want my life to live all for Jesus. You see, my life is not about me. It's about the one I'm fixed upon. When I do live for me, when it is about me, I'm very confused, I'm very shallow, I'm very self-absorbed, and I'm very entitled. And I'm not a very good person. But when I live for Jesus... My life becomes intentionally hidden with God in Christ. I, I want to live for Jesus. So how do I get there? What needs to change in order for me to have my life be what God has in mind for me and to live out the destiny God has designed for me? Now here's another question. Will God allow me to miss it? The answer is Yes. God is so loving and so good, he's not going to force you into anything. But he's going to lovingly guide you to the life he has intended for you. If I'm mapping out my life, what is my fixed point? Better said, who is my fixed point? Am I mapping out my life or is Jesus mapping out my life? The question I add, the real you is always found in Jesus. Today, here in the third chapter of Ephesians, Paul is going to give us a map, a guide. 
Let's see what he says and let's follow it. Y'all ready? Father, thank you for what you're going to do in and for and through us this morning. And Father, I, I realize that I am incompetent. I'm unkept, unclean, unwept, unburied, unmourned, to quote Shakespeare. But Father, you are more than competent and you are more than able. And I pray somehow through the divine mystery for the foolishness, foolishness of preaching, you might reveal yourself to these who listen with attentive ears, open hearts to the majesty and the mystery of your gospel. So I thank you for what you're gonna say this morning. And uh, let's just go, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen. Go ahead and take out some notes. I think you're gonna wanna jot some things down because as I was writing this talk, I realized I'm writing this for me and y'all just get gravy. So maybe the gravy will be good enough to sop it up with a biscuit, okay? So let's look together at what some thoughts that we have from this passage. Here's the first thought I want you to cling to, and it's in your outline that's in your bulletin. Know who you are. Know who you are. I started to say know whose you are, but that's all kind of intertwined. When you understand yourself, I, I, I saw a quote this, this week by a guy named Hemmerich, who's a German philosopher, and he said this, show me your, show me your redeemed life that I might believe in your redeemer. Boy, that's almost an indictment for us Christians, right? Uh, Gandhi said, you're Jesus I like, you're, you Christians I have a trouble with. Huh. To show us the redeemed life. Know whose we are. Know who we are. Now listen, this is what Paul said in, in 1, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. When I think of all this, and Paul has kind of gone through a litany. Now listen, this is what he just did. He just came out of a, of a discourse, and we did this in group life this week, about racism. That passage in the end of two was all about racism, how God has come down to break down the dividing wall, to break down ethnic walls, to break down Jewish and Greek and barbarian and, and Roman. He came to break it down, slave and free, male and female. He came to break all that down and to bring us all to himself as one people. God is not colorblind. God loves color. Y'all get that? God does. And so he, and Paul's talking about that. And he said, in light of all this, that's what he said, because he's getting to the place where he's ramping up to pray an amazing prayer for us that you'll get to experience in group life this week. Amazing prayer of power. The next week we turn the corner and we're talking about how we live for Jesus and discovering the real you. And I'm kind of already ahead of that in, in writing that talk as well. When I think of the, all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of the Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to the Gentiles. Okay, did they know that? Yeah, the church at Ephesus definitely knew that because they saw Paul had, who was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who would normally have nothing to do with Gentiles is now in the middle of them sharing the gospel. They also know that Paul had been affirmed in his calling by the apostles in Jerusalem who said, Paul, it's on you. We're giving you that assignment to go spread the gospel to the Gentiles, which I think is God's greatest uh, trade move ever. Better than somebody drafting Joe Burrow number one in the draft. Paul says, God says, I will get the best theologian in the history of the world, and I'm going to send him to all the pagans. How about that? Now, here's what we think. We take the best theologian in all the world and we send him to a seminary. 
to talk to the already convinced. But God says, no, I'm going to take the best of the best and we'll send him to the pagans who need it the most. That's the way God works. The way it works. As I briefly wrote earlier, Paul ain't never wrote anything briefly. Anyway, as I wrote briefly earlier, God himself revealed to me his mysterious plan. Now, remember, I talked about the mysterious plan was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did it God did reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. So as I read this, some thoughts come. You will never find the real you until you find the real God. Until your life is hidden in Christ, you will never find who you are. You could try all kinds of self-motivation, self-help. You could go to uh, yoga. You can go to Whatever you want to go, I'm not just picking on yoga. I like yoga a lot, especially the kind with the fruit on the bottom. It's amazing. Okay. But some of y'all only heard the part. I like yoga. He likes yoga. Okay, all right. Get over it. It's a joke. But, but I think it's amazing how, how God does these things. But you can't find it through the world. You have to find it through an experience with him. Now, listen to me. I want, you, I want to let you. Shh. Don't tell anybody. We around here, we try to join God in creating transcendent moments where heaven and earth touch. Don't tell anybody. Through our gatherings and through our groups and through our God time, we want to make joining God, now we can't do this, joining God to make heaven real and faith alive. Don't tell anybody. That's what we do. What do y'all think about that? So when the choir sings and the band plays and the horns blow, and, and then we teach and we, we produce group time, we give you God time, what we want, we want Jesus to become very real in your life. It's not about a style, y'all. It's about your heart. It's about your life. It's about Jesus working in you and for you and then through you. You see, Paul was captured by Jesus. Rome had his body, but Jesus had his heart. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. So you have to understand who you are, whose you are. You have to understand your calling. Now, calling, that's an interesting word. And we, we throw this word around a lot. And usually what we throw it around is to get out of something we know we ought to do. We'll say, well, God hadn't called me to that. And we're confusing the calling of God and the assignment of God. God calls you to himself through Christ at salvation. When you say yes to Jesus, listen to me, you give up your rights. You give up your rights to location and vocation. You give up your rights to property and prosperity. You give up your rights to comfort or suffering. 
Oh, we don't teach that. Because that's scary. Because I'd rather teach, when you come to Jesus, you're going to be fat and happy. You know, what is it? A healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? You just say it, God will give it to you. He's, he's bound to give it to you. No, no. He calls you to himself. He pulls you out of darkness into his light. He gives you his spirit to live within you. He calls you, and then he assigns you. He says, Scott, I want you now to do this for me. Y'all, I didn't mean to come to Wimberley. Did y'all know that? I didn't mean to. God did. Now, if you don't like me being here, you take it up with Jesus, okay? But God knew this. And God, God is the one who calls us to himself, and then he assigns us because of who he is shaping us to be. Now, how's God has shaped you? Now, we, we use it across the ground here of shape, spiritual gift, heart, ability, personality, and then finally experience. And I want to say this to you. Spiritual gifts are amazing. And we can give you assessments. You kind of figure it out. I know what my top three spiritual gifts are according to assessments I've taken. They're leadership, preaching and teaching, and evangelism. That's my top three. Mercy didn't even make the top ten. It ought to, and I'm working on that because I need to be more merciful uh, generosity actually has climbed up since I first taken it because I realized I was real low in generosity and I knew if I was going to be like Jesus, I had to become generous. So generosity has come up. You know what will make you generous? Grandkids. They will, they will change your life. But as I look at this, the spiritual gift, the heart, our passion, what I really love to do, my abilities, what am I gifted at doing, what's kind of natural abilities or learned abilities, personality, our personality types, and we give you assessments for that. But you know what I think probably does more than anything else is your experiences. God is like a southerner at a pig killing, ain't nothing wasted, not even the oink. He uses all of it. And he's busy building you with your experiences. So look around you, look within you, to look back at your life and ask Jesus, okay, I've gone through all of this, now what? On Thursday, I ask you to pray for me. Our state convention has asked me to speak at a church revitalization conference in San Antonio, and I'll be speaking. I'm giving two talks, and then there'll be Q&As after those talks. They're kind of like TED Talks. Y'all know what TED Talks are? Short talks, 15, 20-minute talks, and then questions after that. They said budget about an hour and a half for the whole process. And uh, so we'll just see where it goes. And said, so, you know, we're just kind of kind of loose and we want to give you an opportunity to talk. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Why in the world am I doing that? Experiences. Been there and done that. Got the scars. Understand it. And so I'm one beggar telling other beggars where I found bread. That's exactly what the experiences do. That God understands that. God's call comes from the assignments. God, the call of God comes from God. The assignments from God will come from your passion and your experience. Follow your passion to your purpose. Why? Because we said earlier last week, you are God's masterpiece. Creating you new in Christ Jesus to do the good things he had for you all along. Now I want to talk to you about something because I think a lot of times we overlook this. Some of the whispers in your heart 
when you were a little child are God's revelation to you then for now. Some of the whispers to you when you were a little child were God's revelation for you now. But some of you are broken children. Your childhood was so painful and so scarred with trauma that you couldn't hear the whisper of God over the noise of the dysfunction of your family. What I want to ask you to do this week is to calm the dysfunctional noise and go back and think about the whispers as a child. Tara teaches kindergarten. Every one of her kindergarten students are artists, exceptional artists, Michelangelo-level artists. At least that's what their little hearts believe. Do you know what happens as they get older? Their artistic verisimilitude is dashed on the rocks of criticism. What God whispers to us as little children is often the path he wants us to walk. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you have come to me. God can and will heal the broken child in you if you let him. He will. He'll relieve you from the abuse and the neglect. And the, maybe it wasn't a physical neglect. Maybe it was a, an emotional neglect. Maybe your parents were so stifled emotionally. Maybe your father can never say to you, I love you, because he was so emotionally scarred by his father, and that generation followed you. My brother, the historian, said that the men of the middle 1800s were so scarred by the Civil War, they came home to live out dysfunctional lives with the inability to express their emotions to their children, thus launching a silent, emotionalist generation after generation after generation after generation. It's time for that to stop. I said, David, that ain't bad for a dadgum history professor. You see, revelation only comes from God. And you can't hear from him if you're not following him. So how do you hear from him? You got to read. You got to pray. You got to spend time with him. You need to be connected in a group. You need to be connected with people. You need to serve. You need to listen for his voice. You need a fixed point, and his name is Jesus. Jeremiah said it this way. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. Isn't that a good word? You look at Jesus and throughout the New Testament, they called him rabbi. Rabboni, rabbi. They called him rabbi. And he was a rabbi. He was rabbi of rabbis, the teacher of teachers. That's what it means. Rabbi means teacher. And literally what a student of the rabbi wanted to do would be followed so close to the rabbi to hear everything he had to say, watch everything he had to do, uh, everything he did in order to replicate what he says and what he does. Literally, they wanted to follow so close they would be covered by the dust of the rabbi. Now, if the rabbi was walking around these cleachy roads, you get in 45 feet, you're going to be covered with dust. But literally, to walk so close, I want to walk so close to Jesus, I'm covered with his dust. Don't you? Then who needs to adjust? You do. You do. You see, God is intentionally shaping you. He's doing this intentionally. 
This is God's plan. Paul goes on in verse six. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, Paul has a firm grip of of his past, understanding who he once was. He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasure available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all, has kept secret from the beginning. I read this and boy, I can really, I can identify with Paul. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he chose me to do this. God is not looking for your qualifications. He's looking for your willingness. God does not call the qualify. He qualifies the called. See, your life matters. You're like a vapor. Don't waste it. Now, Paul said some things here, and I want to catch on them. Part of the same body. The phrase Paul coined to explain this new relationship with the family of God. We are one living body. There's not a a phrase for that in Greek, so Paul had to invent it. You're placed in an intentional relationship with God and with other believers. You are in this room on purpose by God's invitation. You are online on purpose by God's invitation. It's not an accident. So as I look at this, I realize that not only does my life matter, get this, my devotion matters. My devotion to Christ and my devotion to you matters. It matters. When God awakens me to himself, he launches a plan for me that has been in place for me before time began. And that's a mystery to me. Now, the mystery of his plan is interesting. Now, I talked to you last week about it's the untraceable path of God to bring salvation to the nations. And Isaiah, Isaiah talks about, and you, he will be a light to the nations. See, this is nothing new. In the Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to talk about in our next series, the Abra- we're going to look at the covenants of God. In the Abrahamic covenant, he, God says this to Abraham, and through you, the nations of the world will be blessed. So this has been part of God's plan. Can you imagine your life being a blessing to the nations? It is. When you join in the redemptive power of God's plan of the church. And it's all by God's grace and his power. It's not by ours. Now, here's the the last thing, and I've got about 10 minutes, and we'll see if I go over, which I will. He intentionally puts us into relationships with each other. Now, next week, I'm going to be talking about see your real relationships. And next week, I'm going to talk a lot about unity in the body of Christ. Next week, I'm going to talk about how we're commanded by God to overlook one another's flaws. What? This is church. It's Baptist church. We make our living judging people. Wow. God's purpose, and I'm reading again in verse 10, God's purpose in all of of this was to use the church, use the church, the ecclesia, the called out, not the building, not the structure, not the organization, but the family, the ecclesia, the body, to use the church to display his wisdom 
in its rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities of the heavenly places. In other words, what God's saying, I'm going to show the devil himself what I can do with sinners saved by grace. Let's see, watch this devil. You can't touch this devil. And that's what he does. This is his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Boldly and confidently into God's presence. So this week we, we had, uh, it was Tuesday of this week because we have our staff meeting at two, on Tuesdays this week. Um, Tara needed windshield wipers for her little SUV thing, her little edge. She calls it her brown bear. So the loving husband I am, I went down to the auto parts place and I bought her windshield wipers to go on her car. Well, I didn't have her car with me at the time, so I installed said windshield wipers for her when I got home. Guess what happened to the windshield wipers? They came off. Because <laughs> when you hire an idiot, you get what you get. And so they came off. So I had to go early Tuesday morning down to the auto parts place, and I walked in the door, and, and the two guys were standing there and said, could you guys save my marriage? <laughs> This one guy didn't look at us and said, he can. <laughs> he didn't even look up. <laughs> and he said, what's going on? I told him. And he, he, actually, the windshield wiper was, dis, was, uh, was defected. So it really wasn't my fault. That's my storm sticking to it. Don't you tell her anything else. So come on now. So he, he fixes it. So Tara has my truck. She doesn't like driving my truck. She does not appreciate my truck. My truck is awesome. But she doesn't appreciate how it is. And so she immediately wanted to come. But you know what she did? She came in. And we were in staff meeting. She just barged right in. She didn't knock. She didn't introduce herself. She didn't ask permission. She didn't bow low. She didn't kiss the ring. She didn't do any of that. She came in and said, give me my keys. I gave her a key. She threw my keys on the desk and toddled off. Why? Boldly, confidently in the presence of the pastor because she is the beloved Y'all get that? That's how y'all are with King Jesus. Boldly and confidently because you are the beloved. Boy, that changes things, doesn't it? Yeah. You see, when we gather as a community of faith, a family, a body, we boldly proclaim the intentionality and the confidence in our holy God. Hmm. I want you to hear this. The church is the only gathering in the world where its members, it, you're, you're a member, it, it's, you exist not for yourselves, but be for the hope of the world. I wrote it down better. It does not exist for the benefit of its members, but for the benefit of the world. Oh. You're not signing up for a credit card. Some of y'all feel like you signed up for a timeshare. You're not. You joined a movement. 
You see, no one's a part of the family of God by chance. God adds to his church those who would be saved. Now, it's important to belong. It's important to become. And we, this church, our, your pastoral staff, this team, and these leaders here that goes beyond the quote-unquote staff, we're committed to intentionally building your life all for Jesus. We are. Why? Because what starts here changes eternity. What starts up the road at University of Texas changes the world. <laughs> we change eternity. So we must shift our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus to see the world as Jesus sees the world. Now I want to say this, and I hope it, I hope it makes you mad. The scourge of Texas is cultural Christianity. That's the scourge of Texas. I've seen this for years. Just because you're a Texan or you've attended a church or prayed over a meal or given an offering or anything else you've deemed a religious doesn't mean you're a Christian. It doesn't. It doesn't. What makes you a Christian is you belonging to Christ through a personal relationship with him that's real and vibrant. He calls you. He woos you. He says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come to me. That's what makes you a Christian. And I've said this to you a thousand times. I can go down to the local barn and stand there all day and never become a horse. Have to be born a horse to be a horse. You have to be born again to be a Christian. You see, to map the world, you need a fixed place. To map your world, you need a fixed Savior. A fixed Savior. So I've written some things down I want to ask you. So what's your next step? What's your next step in this mapped journey? Let me give you some suggestions. Is it to become a Christian? I'd hate to get to heaven and you not be there because you were just going to church. That'd break my heart. Is it to become a member of this family? Is it to find a home for your heart? Is it to be baptized? Is it to get into a group? Is it to join a ministry? Is it to invite a friend? Is it to become a peacemaker and a unifier instead of a disturber and a divider? Is it time to go someplace in the world and do something good for King Jesus? What, what's your next step? See, when you take the next step, Jesus will show you the map for your life. I love this in Proverbs. It says, a man makes his plans, but the Lord determines his steps.